Welcome to Documentary First, the inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hi, everybody. Hi, Josh. Hi, Christian. And with us, as always, is our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, button-pushing guy, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hi, Jason. The only one wearing headphones today. And we have a special guest all the way from the West Coast. Is that correct? Yes, California. Here we are. California. Our composer of The Girl Who Wore Freedom, Jeff Kurtnacker. Welcome, Jeff. Woohoo! But before we get to Jeff, we have something much more important to talk about. I see two people behind Jeff that we need to talk to. Christian, why don't you take a Yes. Um, this is Jack Kurtnacker and Lucy Kurtnacker. And they have been important members of our little film family. And I just want to publicly say that you guys have been an incredible blessing to me. They draw me Bible verse pictures that they do in homeschool and send them to me. And it's really meant a lot to me. It's encouraged me. And it means a lot to me that you care about our film and that you've helped support your dad. (laughs) <laughs> what do you, how do you are you guys proud of your dad can you tell me real quick what you think about him doing this film well he said it was his dream to write music for a movie and so do you think he did a good job what's your review after you've seen the movie five stars five stars <laughs> all right i'll take it thank you great to see you guys thanks for stopping by today Have fun in your art class. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. So, uh, as we mentioned, Jeff Kurtnacker, all the way from California, is on with us today. He is the composer of The Girl Who Wore Freedom. And I'm sure he has a lot of interesting stories to tell. The thing, my first introduction to Jeff was Christian on the podcast announcing she found a composer, someone who volunteered that she'd never met before, and my immediate thought was, well, you know, this is going to be a fun little project for Christian. She's just kind of piecemealing things together. <laughs> It'll be a first-time experience. She'll, her, she'll make her masterpiece down the road. Because what can you really expect from someone who just volunteered out of the blue to write your music for your show, right, or your film? And when I heard it for the Wrong. first time, I was blown away. I was like, wait, this isn't this, the guy who volunteered, is it? And it was. <laughs> the music is phenomenal. Thank you. Totally surprised me. So well done, Jeff. Thank you. Um, maybe we should start with telling us, uh, is this the first time you've written music? What, what, what's your background? What do you do? <laughs> I wish it was the first time I wrote music. I, and you wouldn't be wrong to assume that, right? Um, that someone who just volunteers that, um, those services, that you're probably going to get something very, um, you know, very minimal and, and sort of... Uh, I don't know, not really all that interesting or inspired because they're probably just starting out and just looking for credits. And actually, that was me. I, I am starting out in film and looking for credits, but I have about you know 15 to 20 years of video game history behind me of writing a lot of music for uh, video games. And so um, fortunately for me, a lot of the games I've worked on have been big um, orchestral and, and sort of emotional games. So I have had a lot of experience writing in those styles and working with orchestra and really um, doing that kind of score feature um, to video games. 
Um, and so for me, this, this was not a challenge of, uh, do I have the skills to write it? It was a challenge of, um, how do I write for a linear piece of uh, media versus games, which are nonlinear and you have to have a lot of loops and be open-ended because you don't really know when someone's going to do something else. So, uh, for me, the challenge was how to tell the narrative in a linear matter. Um, and that's what kept me up at night was, would I be able to handle that part of the job? But I did have plenty of experience just composing, uh, leading up to it. So did you study music in school? Like, how did you get into composing to begin with? Yeah, I took piano lessons as a kid, and um, I really got sick of playing other people's music. And um, so I quit piano lessons when I was in, like, about fifth grade. And then I started discovering Elton John and Bruce Hornsby and Billy Joel. And all of a sudden, my love for piano kind of, you know, rekindled. And I was excited about that. Um, and... I just started, I really didn't have a whole lot of music theory background, but in about seventh or eighth grade, I spent a lot of time just sort of noodling on the piano, trying to figure out why does Bruce Hornsby's playing sound so unique? And I would look at what he's playing and try to listen by ear and figure it out. And then I realized I just would start to noodle and kind of make stuff up. Um, and that's kind of how it started is trying to emulate some of the people that I really um, had a lot of respect for. And so I would come home from school and I'd drop my backpack off and I would just go to the piano and I would just start playing, kind of emoting uh, on the piano. And my mom would know exactly what kind of day I had uh, just by listening to what I would play on the piano. And then I had a, a real hunger to figure out what I was doing and why I liked it. And then, you know, later on in high school um, and into college, I started getting more of the music theory classes and that background. And um, ultimately in college, I went to a, a, a liberal arts school called uh, Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I come, they have let you do your own degree. You can sort of self-design a degree. So I took the music composition degree and I combined it with this um, kind of studio recording technology. And that wasn't a degree, but we sort of made it up. Um, the guy who ran the studio there was a really smart guy. And we would, um, he taught me, everything about MIDI and Pro Tools and audio. Um, and so we just kind of started combining the, the technology with the actual craft of writing. And that's what prepared me uh, to come out to LA and, and sort of try to make my mark. So maybe Christian, you can uh, start the story like how, like you and Jeff connecting and becoming the composer here, because it did seem like Jeff came out of the blue, but Christian, why don't you share that story with us? Well, he did come out of the blue, but he is a listener of the Holy Post podcast, which I think 95% of our crew now has come from the Holy Post podcast listening audience. Um, so his, <laughs> I got an email from him one day that said, you know, I heard you on the Holy Post podcast ask for volunteers and my wife tells me I probably should volunteer. And I happened to be at Las Vegas at the time and not being so great on geography. I thought, Hey, I'm in Las Vegas. Do you want to come have dinner with us? And so that was like, on a, that was like on a Saturday afternoon. Hey, I mean, at that point I was, let's get together. Right. Yeah. I was just surprised to even hear back from her. You know, my wife told me to contact her and I was like, well, I, I will, but I, surely I'll never hear back. Cause 
at that point in my life, I had sent out so many cold calls and cold emails to production companies, and you never hear back from anyone. So it was just another instance of, yeah, I'll throw it out there, but I really don't expect to hear back. So when Christian said, let's do dinner, I was like, well, that's kind of far. But at the same time, I did hear back from her. So, <laughs> so what did you think when you got my email? So, yeah, I was, um, we had just got back from church, and I remember talking to my wife Jenna about it and thinking, like, a phone call would be so much easier, right? This is a four-hour <laughs> drive, one way, uh, just to go meet these people and have dinner. Um, I, a phone call would definitely be easier. And I think we had started to talk about a phone call, Christian, and then I said, mo the more my wife and I talked about it, I thought, you know what, here I've been trying to sort of get an inroad into film for so long. And if I look back on this 10, 15 years from now and I go, you know, would it be worth it to do an eight hour round trip for dinner if that's what it takes to get my break into film? Would I be willing to do that? And the answer for me was yes. If that's, if I look back and say, I was willing to make that drive to Las Vegas for dinner and that's what cracked that big egg for me, then I'd be willing to do it. So I said, you know what? I'll be there in four hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so, you know, when I first got his email, I, of course, he put his uh, website in there and I went to check and I saw him composing an orchestra and I was so impressed. I was like, wow, you know, that's his music. He's conducting an orchestra. It was beautiful video game music, but I knew nothing about working with a composer or anything about music. This was so early on in the journey. I don't even know that we had shot anything. We hadn't shot anything. We didn't even have a script. This was, this was spring of 2018. And we went to Las Vegas for NAB, which is the, you know, big broadcasting convention. And I think that's in February or Mar March, maybe March. And that's why we were there. And we were just brainstorming an outline. So we really had nothing. But when I, when Jeff decided to come, like spur of the moment, drive the four hours, there was a bond that was made. He spent a long time at dinner, probably four hours at dinner, right? No. How long was it? Uh, it was about three. I think I got there like around 6.30 or 7. We were done by like 10.30. So yeah, three to four hours. I and guess. then he had four hours driving home. I got home by about 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> So number one, it was so great. I'm such a face-to-face -face person. It's why I like video. But uh, and we really connected. And but not only that, the thought that he did all of that to get this job, like for me, there was no going back. And uh, you know, after I met him and got to know him, that was it for me. I was sold. Uh, although he did try to quit once. <laughs> <Once. laughs> <laughs> Trying to get me to fire him, actually. How far into it were you when you decided you thought maybe you should quit this thing? Uh, we hadn't actually started scoring the film. I don't think the edit was there yet. It was just actually we were coming up with um, – it was at a point in the film where Christian was saying, we're sort of like getting our act together over here. If you wouldn't mind just writing stuff out of the blue that fits. <laughs> okay, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. In my own defense, in my own defense, we had a little piece of video for you to score. If you remember, we were trying to score the Danny Candy video. Yeah. So it was sort of the first test run. And you have to think about this as two people who do not speak the same language. We've met, we like each other, 
but he does not know how to speak my language and I certainly don't know how to speak his. And we're trying to communicate over a one and a half piece of video, like our thoughts and ideas about music. But I have learned there is a special way to talk to composers. And at that point, I did not know it. What is that special way, Christian? Well, I used to think you would tell composers, well, I'd like a little more of this instrument, or I don't really like this part. But I mean, when you go to try to tell somebody what you like about the music, what do you say? So I would think it would be like in the instrument or in the speed or in the... Finally, we learned after a long period of time, the best way to talk to Jeff is just to tell him what we want to feel. Mm. Tell him the emotion we want at the time. Forget about the notes. Forget about the instruments. You can talk about that later, but the core of it is tell a composer what you want to feel. Right, Jeff? Yeah, and within that, then you can start to dilute the flavors a little bit more and really drill down to, you know, what it is you're you, – what it is out of that as the essence of what you're trying to say. So by that, I mean, if she says, I really want to feel a sense of bravery and honor in this moment. Okay. Well, so that helps me get in the ballpark. Now within that, she might be able to say, Oh yeah. So I listened to that. What I really like is the trumpet. If we could just have more trumpet and a little bit more snare drum and less strings, the trumpet for me really makes my, my soul sing. Then I can go, okay, I can, I can start to manufacture that feedback on my end. Uh, the hard part is, is she just comes to me and says, I need a solo trumpet piece right now. I don't really know where <laughs> to even start with that. And she didn't really ever say that, but w- the emotional tone does need that underpinning to help me figure out where do I even start with this, this idea. And I think the almost quitting part came because we had said, you know, I wanted him to score this part. He had scored it. We made notes on several revisions, but, you know, again, we weren't knowing how to talk to each other and at some point he said well I think I'm just not the composer for you (laughs) and I was like oh that is not true that is absolutely not true you're in this job you may not get out of it you are the guy and after after we made it through that it was fine you you want to obviously do a good job and I did volunteer and and I did drive a long way and so I want to make sure that everyone's happy in this situation and I'm fully aware that I may not be you know, ticking all the boxes someone might be looking for on any given project. So for me to get kind of round after round of feedback where it's like, ah, this isn't quite right. This isn't quite right. I just felt like kind of at a loss and a little frustrated of like, well, maybe, maybe I'm not able to dig into the emotional tone of what this story is about because I felt there's a lot of weight of the stories. There's a lot of weight of the subject matter. And I thought, man, maybe I'm just not the guy that can wrap my head around this in the way that she envisions it. Um, so I said, yeah, maybe you want to try and find someone else who is better at this kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately for me, she said no, and she refused to accept my resignation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew the fault was mine ultimately because I recognized that I had no idea how to communicate what I was thinking or feeling. I was totally new at this and I'd never worked with a composer before, but after that incident, where we realized, you know, I mean, there was no going back for me. Jeff was the guy. I could, I could tell in his music that he, he had what it took. I'd seen what he had done on video games. I knew it was there. And it's sort of the same way um, 
I mean, I look at Bill Ebel, you know, we spoke with him last night. I've worked with him forever. I knew that if he was given a canvas with which to paint, he would soar. And I felt like that was true with Jeff too. He just never had this opportunity, um, you know, to score something this big and linear. I had never had the need to learn to talk to a composer and speak his language. So we just needed to break through that barrier. And don't you think, Jeff, after that, we were golden? Yeah, we started to, you know, I started to understand where you were coming from. You started to use some terminology that struck more with my spirit um, using those more emotional terms. And then, um, and then we started to get to a place where I was writing something and you're like, yeah, this feels more, you know, and the, I think part of it was the feedback I was getting from you. I was taking more like this is junk. And what I think you were saying is you might even been saying, Hey, we're close, but not quite. And I was like, Oh, so we're starting over, you know? So <laughs> I wasn't probably even taking the feedback correctly, but once we kind of got on the same page and I was able to understand where she's coming from and she's able to understand where I'm coming from, then uh, the whole process became a lot easier. And to her credit, if you have someone on your team that you really respect, whether it's bill or an actor or, you know, a composer or a sound designer or whatever, if you really respect them and you think they have what it takes, then, you have them for a reason. So let them do what you want them to do and kind of be a little bit more hands off and see what happens. And sometimes you may really be surprised. Sometimes you might need to do some handholding, but um, I've always been more of a fan of, Hey, we have this person here for a reason because we like what they had to offer. So let's, let's let them do what we want them to do and see what comes out. And then let's deal with the aftermath of those ideas later. But to put the harnesses on right from the beginning can sometimes really be restricting. Well, and I think it took us a while to dial in to the heart of and the feel and the emotion, because once we were speaking the same language in the boat, rowing in the same direction, you really did take over the reins and you just began creating some amazing stuff. After that, we didn't make a ton of adjustments. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, once we started getting the cuts from Bill, the editor, and um, I had ruptured my Achilles tendon, so I was just laying in bed, um, and I started working on that first act, and it started to click a little bit more. And we, Christian and I, had history of months of going back and forth on different trailers and different um, sort of marketing pieces that we were doing, and she would listen to some music. I was just sort of blue skying, and. Um, and so there was some history there and so I knew kind of what she was looking for. And by the time I got a cut of act one, um, I felt much more comfortable. And then um, I felt like we were really able to dial in some of those tones and kind of figure out what she liked and what she didn't like. And both her and the editor really seemed to like these poignant piano moments. Like so, what? Let me hear one. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. So in the, in the film, I have my piano hooked up here. But in, in the film, um, I was telling Christian this at Sundance, but I, I try to use a lot of what I call displaced tension. So rather than having a, tens a tension here between two notes that are right next to each other, I'll take that tension and try to spread it out, you know, and kind of have it. So the tension is there, but it's not, it's not so biting, but it still represents something beautiful and tense. So then you can get things like this. Um, So there's, it's beautiful, but the tension is sort of almost dissipated lightly. Uh, one of my favorite themes is, is what we use for the um, 
for the the veterans throughout the film and it just has a beautiful moment where um that chord right there i think that's a beautiful example of that displaced tension and it sounds beautiful and rich uh to me at least but the notes if you add up the notes they shouldn't really be together but um and that's kind of how i felt like this whole film was two stories of, of conflict, but hope and resolution. And once I started to tap into the kind of that idea of the, that displaced dissonance and, and resolving it in ways, um, I felt like it really started to unlock um, some things in the film, at least for me. So um, that was kind of exciting to start to see that unravel. And then the edit was getting cleaner and I would edit the music to get cleaner. And we just started to kind of refine and polish uh, altogether. Speaking of other themes, um, one of the things I love is at some point we'll be talking about in the film about the French theme or about something happening. And then we turn and talk about the American troops showing up on the scene. And I think about that in that moment between Maurice LaCour, when he's talking about his mother dying and he says, but we survived, you know, we lived in the American camps and you go from this sad a heartbreaking story where he's lost his mom into the hope that the Americans brought. Can you demonstrate that little transition for me? So I don't remember the, tri- I don't know the exact notes, but okay. here's what's happening at the end of that is, um, you know, we have some kind of heartbreak and sorrow, obviously with him losing his mom, but then the theme we use for the Americans, um, there's usually some snare drums cause it's a typical military feel, but then um, we have a strong sort of sense of, of hope and bravery. And um, if you know your music theory, I'm using a lot of perfect fifths that are stocked just to give a sense of, of stability and strength. And so, um, perfect fifth there, and then a descending perfect fifth. So it starts with these just strong, bold brass statements, but to get into that, we kind of have this moment of kind of You know, again, this kind of like push and pull of this tension. And then the Maurice moment ends. And then a flute does a little turn. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the flute does. And then we get with the brass starting to come in as he talks about the Americans. So it just starts to brighten up and open up. And, um, you know, those transitions are not easy because you go, someone's just lost their mom. And then in the film, the next sentence he says is talking about living with the Americans and what that means to him. And so it's a tough thing to, to turn that corner. And I even try just letting the, let's let him, his story tell that I'll back out for a minute. We'll have no music and then I'll come in with the Americans. But, um, you know, Christian and Bill, we, we kind of got together and they really liked having something to kind of articulate and underpin that emotional moment. Um, and so having, again, that tension and just something that kind of rolls through, it's a little bit, it's sorrowful, but it's still beautiful. And then it rolls into the, the brass coming in and these lush chords with that theme. Um, it just felt like it wasn't too much of a punch in the face. We just... We're able to turn a corner and a little little brighter light came on um, 
and I thought that felt satisfying. Um, so we, we worked it out that way. I, I got to say, um, Christian, you really lucked out. I don't know how you <laughs> had one. Like, I mean, I, honestly, I know there's a lot that goes into this stuff, but I don't understand any of it. And so just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, I'm an idiot. You know, like this stuff is amazing. And you happened upon it. Um, I know, you know, there's only one explanation, and that is that there is a God. I mean, <laughs> it, this whole film came together with miracles like this, and, and the reason we started this podcast is because I needed some way to document what had been happening over the last three years. It's just, uh, it's just been an incredible one revealing thing after another that sort of came together. And what I love about our film is that it is such a compilation of people with their gifts coming to the table and putting it together. We relied on Jeff so heavily and we put him through his paces in a way that probably most experienced composers would have quit, would have quit not because they didn't fit, but because we had no idea what we were doing. The wonderful thing in this story is that we found our way together. And we asked Jeff to score this film before there was a film. We asked him, you, normally when you do a film, you put the film together, it's all locked, everything is locked, it's finished and done, and you hand it over to the composer and ask him, him to score it from beginning to end. Well, we didn't want to fall in love with temp music. We, they call it temp love. And we had a little bit of that in the beginning, but we thought we're editing this in stages. Why don't we see if Jeff can give us music to, to put and edit to in stages so that we fall in love with his music? And I'll tell you, it worked. At one point, we came back to it at some point and we were listening to it and Jeff and I were like, is that the temp music? Like we were originally temping with Thomas Newman and with who else were we using some? Uh, well, there was a lot of Thomas Newman, which I love, of- I love Thomas Newman. So I was actually okay with that, even though I was intimidated by it. Uh, <laughs> but then there was some Band of Brothers now and again. So Yeah. So, But it, seriously, it, at some point, we really could not tell if this was a piece that Thomas Newman had written or if it was Jeff. And so I, I love it that he was patient with us that way because any other composer would have just killed us and quit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the 10th anniversary of The Girl Who Wore Freedom and you're interviewing everyone again. And Jeff is going to talk about what it's like to be a film composer now. And <laughs> he can't believe what he went through. To work on that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I still, yeah, I, I wonder, you know, Christian and I have had that conversation so many times about how it was a little bit backwards. Um, but there's some things I wouldn't change about it, but I still wonder like, oh man, what would it be like to actually do this the right way where you get the film and it's ready to go? <laughs> um, but I will say, and I, I, I've read Hans Zimmer and other composers do this where they read the script and they just start creating music um, based on the script so that when the person is editing the film, it does give them some, some momentum and some current to edit to. And then they're editing to the composer's own music, which is really helpful. Um, so I actually did like that part of it, even though it was difficult to come up with stuff um, without really. We didn't have a script. Let's just say that. There, <laughs> there, there was no script. Christian other, was, yeah. Christian yeah. was writing it at the last minute. And um, yeah. It would have so, been, been a lot harder if they would have put the whole Band of Brothers soundtrack in. And then now I got to, they fall in love with it. And now I got to compete with that throughout that just, and that happens a lot, but fortunately this um, didn't happen that much to me. So I was good. Yeah. You know, I'd love for you to play us uh, another theme. There's another cute little story where Jeff turned in some music and, you know, I, 
I saw it at several different points in the film sprinkled in. And I told him I really, really loved the parachute theme he had going in the film. And he's like, what? There is no parachute music, no parachute theme. I'm like, yes, there is. Do you remember yeah. that, Jeff? Yeah, I didn't realize they were like, I love this parachute theme. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It just so happened I would put this music that was eerily similar over some of this archival footage of, and I, I unconsciously maybe just did it in a couple different spots. But when they, when Christian and the editor watched it, they were like, oh, that's obviously he's trying to make a statement of this is my parachute music. <laughs> I wasn't. But then kind of fell in but love listen with it. to it. You can imagine it. It was like this. Uh, Isn't that great? I love that. Of just something kind of like, you know, they were falling from the sky. It was just beautiful footage. And uh, I was just trying to, they were, the story was, you know, it's a little foreboding and intimidating. You're a child and you look up and you see these, these dudes coming in from the sky. Um, so I was trying to capture some of that intimidation and some of that forebodingness. And, um, but it became were, the parachute music. Yeah, they were like, hey, this is great. Let's let's have more parachute music. And I was like, oh, I guess that's now the parachute theme. There's one other thing he did that I absolutely loved. At some point, we asked him to create something a little bit different for we we created in our mind four acts. And in the second the first act is uh discovery of D-Day and everything that happened. Act um act two is the really hard stuff. It's, you know, all of the just terrible, hard stories. Uh, and then we go into the, the humor of it. We had to put some humor in there. And we, I, what I love is Jeff played up that humor with some music that doesn't fit anywhere else in the, in the score. So when he came up with it, there were two uh, things that he did. There was one in a Maurice LaCour story and another with Jean-Marie Boucherie with the eggs. Do you remember those, Jeff? Yeah, I don't remember how to how to play them exactly, but I remember uh, <laughs> they were just a lot of this kind of almost swing inspired music with pizzicato strings and kind of very plucky. And the idea of um, yeah, it was really the only spot in the film where there was this place for some humor. Um, and then there's another story. That's what the kind of the the kernel and the eggs. And there's this reenactment about this little kid sneaking the eggs out of the out of the chickens. And um, and I thought it was just a really cool. Thing. And so you kind of have this like, you know, this kind of like walking kind of swingy you know, <laughs> uh, vibe to it. And then there's another story right after that about, um, yeah, Maurice LaCour is talking about the GIs wanted girls and they sent them to this one girl's house and she was not very happy to have the GIs there. And so that um, I transitioned out of the little bouncy plucky strings swing music to this sort of um, walking bass solo and it was really the only thing I could think of I'm so glad they liked it because I didn't really know how else to sell some of that that story and that character um because we had just done piano and pizzicato strings and so I didn't want to keep doing the piano uh so have this kind of slimy greasy jazzy walking bass solo with this brush snare drums um, and it just sounds like a nightclub and someone's kind of telling their story over the top of it. And it worked out really well just because I think the nature of the story um, and just after hearing the humor, we get a little bit of the, you know, kind of the sassy things that the kids were doing to the GIs. I thought it worked out well. 
Yeah. Now you see how he talks a different language. Like it really <laughs> is different and you have to learn, I think, how to, how to talk to him. <laughs> and, and there's something I've definitely noticed with composers. I've had the pleasure of knowing two or three composers and now you, Jeff, and I'm from uh, yeah. And one thing I absolutely love is that pretty much all the composers I know will be right in the middle of a sentence and they'll just cut themselves off and start playing. And then that's the end of the sentence. Like they, they don't pick up the, the sentence anymore. They're like, you know, we really want to feel. And then they just start playing and go into it. And you did it a couple times during this. It's like, there's so many parts of it where the language you really speak is music. Yeah. And you'll, you'll cut yourself off with words and just play music. And I, I love I it. I definitely feel more comfortable trying to emote on the piano than actual verbal language. But I think you're exactly right. And I've, I've had the pleasure of going back to my alma mater and talking to students there or talking to high school and college students out here um, who want to get into writing music for games or film. And the number one piece of advice I tell them is this is a language just like you would learn French or German or Spanish. You have to learn the language of music. You have to know the building blocks, the nuances. Um, because when you start to speak it, uh, it has to, one, make sense to the people that you are speaking to, but it also has to um, coincide with the emotion and the narrative that you're trying to support. So, um, and, and you have to have a little bit of a breadth of knowledge of the language, because if you use the same chords and the same kind of tricks, it's really just not compelling after a while. So, um, that's the biggest piece of advice to give to anyone starting out is, if this, you look at this music like a language and start learning scales, modes, you know, um, how to use dissonance, how to use that language to your advantage. Um, and so this film, I got to do more things that I was excited about than any other project I've been on because, again, because it's a linear film, I, I could set up a transition and I knew I could do a modulation or pivot here musically. Um, and so now I'm using that music language to help support what's happening. And I, I know I'm in control of it, whereas a video game, I'm a lot less in control of when those transitions happen. So um, that was a lot of fun for me to explore. I, it was frustrating, too. There's days where you want to uh, beat your head against the wall. But for the most <laughs> part, um, that challenge was really, really rewarding. Um, it's almost time for us to go, but I do want you to touch on a little bit. I heard you talk about uh, the frustration. We've heard you talk a little bit about the self-doubt and uh, you know, you've even talked about the self-hatred pieces of it. And you had some real epiphanies, I think, when we went to, to Sundance. It was like a first big foray out when you're now in the job market, not as a video game composer, but um, can you talk a little bit about the soul searching or the, you know, that you've had to go through as an artist? Yeah. So, um, yeah, generally I, I struggle with all those things, the self-doubt, the self-loathing. Um, and you know, it's not fun probably for my friends and family, but, um, when I used to be a pretty outgoing, fun loving kind of guy. And then <clears throat> I feel like the, I think the more I put myself out there creatively over the years and the more rejection you get and the more just kind of <clears throat> things really aren't going the way you thought they were going to go, it really starts to take its toll personally and emotionally. So I kind of started to withdraw and I wasn't very happy in my job. I wasn't very happy with what I was doing creatively and I just felt stuck. And so I was just dealing with all those emotions and depressions. And, um, but when we went to Sundance, um, 
you know, Christian and I had talked a lot about it. In fact, she said before we even went, she goes, oh, I think it's going to be amazing for you, but not in any of the ways that you're hoping. And I'm hoping I'm going to go out there and be like, oh, I just met so-and-so and Steven Spielberg gave me his number. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to make some amazing contacts and walk out of there with three or four contracts signed. Um, and what it really was was a chance for me to ex- put myself out there emotionally in social situations where normally um, I probably would just clam up and expect opportunities to come meet me a little bit more than halfway. Um, and I, I wasn't very comfortable extending myself because of those situations where I just feel like, man, this is not, I've done this a hundred times. I'm not really in the mood for one more rejection letter. So why even bother? Um, but we got to Sundance and it was a great atmosphere of like-minded people who are creative and pursuing their passions. And um, the first, like, I guess it was the second night we were there. We're at this party in this luxury yurt, um, which I've never been in a yurt before, but it was amazing. <laughs> and right away, Christian and David Patterson, like they're off talking to people because they're social butterflies. And watching Christian do her thing was inspiring because I would really have a hard time just talking to people cold. And she would just walk up to anyone in the grocery store or whatever. How are you doing today? Oh, here's my film. It's just like natural. And it was beautiful. <laughs> It was a masterclass theology. <laughs> and so uh, I would go, I was in this party situation and within literally within two minutes, I'm the guy guarding the coats looking at my phone and I'm thinking there, I'm on the couch and I go, either I'm going to talk to these people or I'm going to just be the guy that guards the coats all night. And um, I chose to just suck it up and say hello to someone next to me. And um, it was just terrifying and then I realized that this person was super cool. And the reality is that they had nothing to offer me from a job standpoint, which is kind of why I went. But um, they were very kind and, and they were very interesting. And they ended up being someone who um, has a business where they lease out all the equipment, the lighting and rigging equipment for films. And they have offices all across America. And I was fascinated by that. And so we were talking about that. And then someone else comes in and says, oh, have you met so-and-so? And then I meet them. And then it just kind of began to meander. And in the meandering, I did meet some people that were like, oh, yeah, you know, I know I have a project or I know someone and I got some business cards. And I met someone who was the head of a film company that was just starting here in L.A. And so I was like, oh, well, yeah, if you ever need music, here's my, here's my stuff. And, um, and I remember leaving that night thinking, huh, like just overcoming that first hurdle led to the other hurdle. Now I have all these threads that I'm trying to follow and see where they lead. Um, and that was kind of the whole week of just overcoming that fear of putting myself out there and realizing that um, I may not be exactly where I want to be, you know, where I thought I'd be at 43 years old, but there's still so many opportunities out there. If you just put yourself out there and extend yourself and be a kind, generous person to other people, um, what you do is you find these connections and it was really amazing. And so, um, I've tried to carry that, that positivity and those experiences forward, um, to not live in fear of what might happen, but to just put it out there and whatever does happen, it happens. But ultimately, um, <clears throat> it's worth the risk, you know, of putting yourself out there because something amazing might happen, like meeting Christian, driving four hours for dinner and, that could have ended in a disaster. Um, but you put yourself out there and, and good things might happen. Well, and I, I cannot tell you over and over again, as we have screened the rough cut in France and in the United, all over the United States, you, we have 400, 500 surveys 
and and three quarters of them mention the power of the music. And I am convinced that this just is a launch pad for Jeff because he just never had a canvas on which to throw his paint and create his art. And I'm just so happy to have had this opportunity because Jeff, you deserve an opportunity like this. You are incredibly gifted and we really appreciate you sharing your, uh, your gifts with us. It's made a huge difference. Oh, thank you. It, it's, it's been a, a huge blessing to me. This has been an unbelievable opportunity. We, my whole family even got to go to France to like for the, you know, all the screenings last year. It was just awesome. So this has provided opportunities creatively, personally, socially that I would have never expected. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, it does. I, I have one final, I have one final uh, question for Christian. Is Jeff finished? Is he actually done working on this film or is <laughs> years later? <laughs> He should be. He should be. He actually turned in the final score two weeks ago, which is perfect. And we're ready to lay it in because now the film is locked, except for the credits. <laughs> He's still working on By the way, Jeff, did you get the... I got the email, but I have not seen <laughs> okay, it. Okay, so we have our <laughs> second draft of our credits. And oh my gosh, I can't wait to bring Daniel on. Daniel is our credit guy. And they are now uh, they are now these beautiful, amazing, styled, designed credits with uh, flag colors, red, white, blue, some yellow kind of stitched together with World War II iconic poster art. And just some, they're so cool. They're so interesting to watch and look at. Jeff, you're going to have fun scoring it. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's mostly done other than the credits. It's the film that never ends, but it's a, it's a great film nonetheless. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey everyone, uh, Jeff, thank you for being our guest today. It was uh, fascinating and um, actually quite honestly inspiring to listen to you. So thank you. Um, and uh, everyone who's listening, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Bye everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we really would appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email, and sign up for our newsletter at Normandy Store. Please go to normandystories.com slash donate to make a donation today.